give that shit up, you can concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Hi everybody and welcome to a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Massey and Paul. This is episode one of season three. If it is your first time listening, I would advise to go back to the start and listen from episode one, as we will refer to previous shows from time to time. This show does contain film spoilers, so if you've not yet seen the film, I would advise watching it first. It might help you understand a little bit better. And now for today's show, I hope you enjoy. So today, I am delighted to say we are joined by uh, Conor O'Shea, and he's also joining us with Massey and Paul. How are you? How's everybody? Good, yeah. Hi, Colm. Hi, Paul. Hi, Conor. How are you, lads? And Happy New Year and Happy late and happy christmas and whatnot um and the, i suppose today we're, we're going to be watching the damned united uh film chosen by mr mr o'shea and uh, connor i presume you picked this film because you can i suppose empathize with mr brian clough that you're always in the shadow of a different manager is that correct <laughs> um i suppose i suppose that's one way of looking at it i think another way of looking at it is is um i suppose a man who had a who had a philosophy that he wanted to do things differently and he was he wanted to win beautifully and he wanted to kind of change the way the teams were playing and kind of I think I identified with that as well that he wasn't really willing to stick with the norm yeah and like I suppose look the like the the film like the the author or the author of the book and the film I think they were both sued subsequently by a couple of people who felt that they weren't portrayed correctly in the film but look I suppose from this perspective we're actually just going to look at the film so if you've Wonderful knowledge of Brian Clough out there that doesn't in line with what we're what we're seeing in the film. We're just basing it purely kind of off the off the film. And like Massey, have you read the book? I think have you? No, I didn't read the book. No, um, I read Clough's autobiography and a few different things around that. But the book is meant to be a little bit different to the film, all right? Yeah, it's a good read. It yeah, no, it is. It's, I would say it's substantially different. Like it's 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 woven really nicely through uh, the story, kind of for the for the number of days flips over and back through the years through each chapter and stuff and it's it's well worth a read um even if you don't bother watching the film it's definitely well worth a read uh, paul did you get a chance to read the book no? yeah i did read the book it's a, it's actually a good while ago but i remember i remember it being a kind of an internal monologue of of them and it's it, it's mad it's, it's really easy read the manner in which it's it's done because it's just like going through his thoughts at a particular time and how mad they were and good it is really good yeah, yeah and I suppose that's always the hard thing for a film when they take a book is to to get the thoughts of the people that that are on paper onto the onto the film is always difficult but look I suppose like kind of you spoke there about winning beautiful versus, versus winning ugly like I suppose when Clough took over Leeds United he would have felt that they were a group of tugs that were basically very very capable players that could do it beautifully but weren't doing it beautifully and like I suppose We'd probably see that spoken about an awful lot of GA managers. Uh, we'll refrain from naming any in case we insult a couple of uh, friends. But, you know, in football in particular, about managers who play a more defensive system and it takes away from the, the aesthetic beauty of the game, let's say, a small bit, wouldn't it? Yeah. But I suppose I was thinking about this and I was saying, kind of, does it matter? Like, I mean, there's, there, there's, kind, of a, there's kind of a question that, like, is winning not winning? And then you have to look at it maybe more. Is there, like, are the players, are the players satisfied playing turgid stuff and doing whatever, that awful phrase, whatever it takes to win? 
or do they want to compete and win playing really attractive attacking you know skillful stuff it, it's it's a very it might be even coverable in this podcast you might need to do a thesis on it like all uh but uh i'd say i know it just it really interests me like as in winning is winning and then how you look at it like personally i think i think you should definitely try and win doing good stuff like dublin if you if you look at dublin right 2013 their football should jesus they were fantastic to watch and then the 14 they were even better and then they get their shock and then they kind of change the way they play and is it now exciting is it is it really it, obviously we don't have crowds coming in at the moment but like would people go and watch how they play does it excite and there that, that's definitely kind of why i was thinking of that watching the film i think the the higher level you are it, it does become more about winning doesn't it and you will do what you have to do to win if it's by playing in a fantastic exciting way yes absolutely but if it's not getting the results, you're going to have to change your style. And I think Connor mentioned it well there about Dublin in 2014 when they got caught by Donegal that time. They were playing fantastic football and they had to change it slightly. But I think all teams just adapt to what best suits them to actually win. And you go back to the film there, Clough thought about Leeds had all these good players that should be playing in this certain style of football that was more appealing to him. Maybe they weren't able to do that. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. We, I don't know. But it's you have to adapt to the players you have and to get the best out of them. If that's by playing ugly and winning, so be it. People are into different things and I do actually really enjoy watching Ulster football from a tactical perspective of how teams are setting up and how they're restricting space and an ability to defend well is something that's really important and isn't often viewed as, as beautiful and like we'll say the most enjoyable match I was ever at, the most enjoyable football match, half of football I was ever at, was the first half of the, the Dublin Donegal game when it was it was 4-2, I think, at half time, but it was 2-1 to Donegal for, for a long period, up to maybe 27, 28 minutes of that of that first half. And and there is there's really enjoyable elements of of looking at a team buy into a defensive system and set up and give themselves to the team accordingly. And amazing, if you just like that's just brought up a great analogy there. That like you flipped that around and you mentioned Donegal Dublin. I thought the first half I thought Jesus on about the the match where Donegal beat Dublin. No, which was a fan- I know, I know you're not. I know you're not. But I said I thought I thought that was a fantastic half of football. Um, the way Donegal like Mike Murphy just punching the ball down to Ryan McHugh coming through the half forward line and Dublin has all attacking German Connolly playing football out of his skin it was just really attacking half of football I thought was fantastic but just shows you how people look at things differently I think I think as well the the identification of the the supporter to a team in certainly certainly in in like soccer like as a long-suffering Arsenal fan I think as Colin you know yourself yeah the, the I suppose the thing is like I would have identified with the team back in the early noughties, although they were successful. I really loved the way they were playing the ball around the place. And it it kind of it kind of stuck with me, even though they're now, and it's really noticeable now, obviously they don't play the same, but that the supporters were attracted to a really different style of football to the time. And I think I think that's definitely another case as well, that not only are you winning, but you're bringing people with you playing a certain way. 
like if, if you if you look at Big Sam's teams, right? Like nobody goes and supports Big Sam's football teams. They he he gets them to survive relegation, then he gets moved on. And I don't know, and you know, like it's it's kind of he wins or he gets a draw, like without much style or panache. Um, and I think that's that's definitely something as well that like how many people are you bringing with you, supporting wise, um, and how people identify. I think is with how a team plays. It's like yeah, but also that Arsenal have had success, and that's why it brought people along as well yeah. with them. But like even just recently, Tommy Doherty died at next Manchester United manager from the seventies. But a lot of people thought that was the most exciting time of watching Manchester United football. You got relegated with them, you got promoted with them, but the football was meant to be unbelievable, and people remember that. You go back to Kevin Keegan's time at Newcastle, where they played brilliant, brilliant football. They didn't win anything, but people will always remember their their positive approach that they're winning games or losing games 4-3, whatever it was, scoring a lot of goals, creating a lot of chances. But it does capture the public's imagination when people are, are say, pleasing on the eye. Yeah. Or exciting. Even like you look at boxing, like probably one of the best boxers of all time is Floyd Mayweather, but he was sort of a more of a boring style of boxing compared to, say, your Mike Tyson's who go around knocking people out. Yeah. Is Arsenal a well-to-do area in London? Not I wouldn't know. I wouldn't Not particularly. Know. I mean, I, I haven't been to many areas in London, but going to games and stuff, it doesn't strike me. Like, it's Islington is kind of the area you walk up through. And like, a lot of Irish people would have gone to uh, Islington. There's an Irish, the Irish Centre, actually, um, the Irish London Centre is over there, um, which is kind of a centre for Irish people who might be going through tough times and stuff. And I, that, I wouldn't, it's definitely not a well off area, certainly in my. Why do you um, think that'll align to something, Paul? No, well, one one of the lines in the film was you can't manage a team who aren't your own people. Yeah. And like I, I, I do think a team has to have not has to have, but a sense of their identity and a sense of how they play is is developed and, and, and dictated at times by the the geography of and, and, and the the natural feel of the county of also of, of, of what people are working at in the county is there any particular industries that are there that are that are are prevalent um and, and, and like we've talked about this before like that that uh, socio demographic thing where people from close from rougher areas do play with a bit, bit more of an edge you know and it's only we'll say them more well-to-do areas they do play a, a nicer brand of Gaelic games and it's only when they get that little bit of an edge that they they manage to, to get over the line or whatever, you know? I disagree with that, Paul. Like, what? like what, what Gaelic football teams are you on about there? What Gaelic football teams am I on about? I'm talking about Hurling. Yeah, but what, what, what Hurling teams are you on about? What Hurling teams are you on? That they're from a more well-to-do area that they play a nicer brand of Hurling. Right, well... Right. <clears throat> If we go at it from the perspective of things, which was the first thing I mentioned, I'll give you a really good example on the Horland side in Dublin. Bally Bowden really struggled to get over the line for a long amount of years, right? And Knock Lion, etc., would be a reasonably well to do do area. They got Malachy Travers in a, a, a slight edge to what they had at that particular time after losing numerous finals in a row to the likes of O'Toole's and Crave Caron etc they managed to go on then and dominate 
from a shift in mindset. And I'm not putting it fully down to Malachi Travers now, but he was able to bring something that they didn't already have, you know? Um, and and clubs who who manage to get some person in who doesn't we'll say fit the the criteria of what a Bally Bowden player is or a Fogs player is like Fogs recently got fellas in who have much more of a flamboyant style of hurling and have changed how they go about things you know and stuff like that is able to to shift shift clubs and, and and teams around. And the manager coming in oftentimes can be the person who shifts that mentality and mindset. But here, tell me this, right? Is is a coach's style, let's say, like if you're a goalkeeper stroke a defender as a player yourself, you're more into a negative uh, style of play. Whereas if you're more of an attacking player, you're more into... Uh, flamboyant we call it let's say Brian Clough obviously was a very renowned goal scorer I don't know they say 247 goals in 261 games you know he had a, a nine-year career cut short with injury but like did he because of the way that he was an attacking player himself that he wanted to see that as the way forward whereas if you've got goalkeepers and look I'm sure we can think of goalkeepers now that are have uh, on the management circuit let's say at inter-county level and they, they, a lot of them would be very negative in their their, their, their way of, of play yeah Colin I think you've, you've, you've a really good point there about the goalkeepers and bringing in that negative style of play like realistically and, and I know you can't impose rules and hurling and football are so and, and ladies football and Camogie are such a fluid games that you can't impose restrictions and styles of play but underage teams should be very much about skill development and defensive styles of play shouldn't really come in massively, you know? Um, and like we'd say Davy Fitz again, so you're talking about that and that that link between goalkeepers, etc. Like I don't think that Davy Fitz could be a manager of Kilkenny or Tipperary because of the manner in which they play or and the manner in in which the clubs and 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 the we'll say the the overarching manner in which they play hurling, I don't think he'd survive there, and I think that comes back to the comment in the film that you have to know the people you're managing and understand their their way of thinking to be able to manage them and get success out of them. You know, I go back there now. Second of all, David Fitz like got managed a lot of Tipperary players in college and stuff, and got the best out of them. Did he give examples of that, Mossy? Tipperary, like down in Cod, I'm sure there was Tipperary players there he uh, had in his Fitzgibbon teams. Very few words, Emma. Still, he still had one or two, I'm sure. No, see, if you're not able to name off three or four, mind your own business. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> one one thing there, Paul, that you said is, is it's kind of an interesting one there about how un, you're, you're talking about underage development of players and it should be skills based, right? And I agree, I agree, a hundred percent that skills based should be the predominant factor for games etc but there is there is an argument to be made that potentially in Gaelic games we don't we don't allow the players to develop a tactical mindset throughout the development like if you look at if you look at the you know the Leinster schoolboy leagues teams here and then as they move on through the ranks they're trying to get onto the air like the, the now the development pathway they have in the FAI like by 15 or 16 the young lads and young girls coming through that system are tactically 
quite adept at playing different ways and and they're they're more comfortable in like understanding shape and understanding i suppose how teams set up differently against different challenges and so on and i i actually think uh, as as ga coaches across all the four codes we might be we might be maybe slightly behind the curve on that that like i'm not even saying defensively here like defensive tactics or offensive tactics i mean just providing i suppose a tactical platform for the players to develop and understand how maybe they should go about it and i i i just certainly from my experience especially in this past year um it just it's something that's kind of been on my mind for the last month and a half or so that that we probably didn't facilitate a bunch of players to learn certain tactical parts of the game. Um, and it's just it's just one thing you said. I was like, ah, oh, just something that I've been thinking about. From my point of view, yeah, we, we, we discussed uh, playing against a team who would set up that way, right? Yeah. But we never, and we did a small bit of practice per se, but we never talked about what you would do in these situations fully. We never... We never gave the players potentially, or the players didn't have the tools. Tools is probably the wrong word, but didn't. You know, there's a few things around that that I definitely like to revisit to how you could coach players to be better tactically able to understand in the game what's going on. Drag them wider, sit deeper the inside line. Those type of things that looking at this, especially looking at the soccer guys growing up, like, and I'd be friendly enough with a guy in Dundalk, and like they, you know, the way he talks about things is very different. And it's just, it's just something that interests me a lot like in how teams set up differently was that a flaw of the of coach education within the ga and like like i know we're, we're primarily talking about development squads here um yeah. in this discussion and i know like that even from being involved with development squads in cork in the past is you kind of put a management team together and you kind of send them on their merry way uh without any actual pathway i think what you're saying that we're we're introducing defensive systems at the age of 15 not 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 rigid nothing that we're sticking to but we're just making the kids aware that this is how we might play in this situation and at 16 maybe we're introducing a couple of offensive systems that right if on this situation we're we're going to break it down and look i think a lot of a lot of it comes down to the individual managers that like some some managers because they have obviously your coaches, they've obviously thought about it and studied it and, and questioned and queried other people. But like one thing that I seen with one manager um, with the development squad, I thought was the the most progressive that I would have seen in a couple of years, let's say from just being around him, not being directly involved with being around him, but he, he would have got uh, 15 spacer mats in red and 15 spacer mats in white. And he would have set them up marking each other like a team, let's see on the ground. He put all the players around um, this is a bunch of 15 year olds all the players around the semicircle he said right if the other team moved their number 8 to here and their number 15 to there so they go with a sweeper what are we doing with our back 6 and it's just engagement just discussion this is what we're doing they threw out loads of things they threw out some fucking mad jokes um, but they, they came up with 3 or 4 things that they might do in a match which they didn't actually do it in a match but they already had a bit of a discussion so if it did come up they were able to relay that to a match. Now, I know with development squads as well, as time is precious. Like, you want them, like, as I said, it probably comes back to a lot of it as well, didn't it? Are we actually utilising our time with players best, you know? Like, I know Which, that there's there's this perception out there that if they're not on the pitch running hard and pucking balls or kicking balls, it's a waste of time, you know? And that's an old school sort of philosophy. But how much of it do we need to balance back the other way? I think what you said a lot there, the key word there is individual. 
like what is like what flow is between different managers of different age groups in the same in the same representing the same team or same club or same county like when you're finishing say a minor level should then players be prepared to step up a level if not two levels straight away do you know so like we we talked about Kerfin in the past we talked about Cross McGlenn in the past like then players know exactly what they have to do by the time they get to minor level for when they reach senior level so they can fit into that system straight away Connor mentioned soccer there and I think Gaelic games is considerably behind soccer and obviously obviously it is because soccer is, is a worldwide game with worldwide intelligence and coaching expertise coming into it um, and obviously being played for a longer time and I'm not talking about we'll say just time on, on a calendar I'm talking about the amount of time it's played on a weekly basis per weekend yeah yeah like if you look at Gaelic games and by and large for the last number of years the Sunday game is a farcical show where people come on and say and make comments and just create debate etc but there's very little actual uh, commentary and proper analysis of, of, of games actually happening Right. And when that's the flagship show on a Sunday evening, and because um, a lot of time coaches don't invest the amount of time they, they, they need into developing themselves, they learn from that. And like, in, in my opinion, there's very, there's very little learning from Des Cattle and, 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 and the likes of, of the fellas that are involved there, you know. That doesn't help for the the, the idea of, of of Gaelic games and tactical um, tactical evolutions and, and revolutions coming. Like you see the time when like Derek McGrath has previously come on and Stephen Rochford has offered stuff as well, um, where they have offered actual insight into the game, you know, and it just doesn't happen enough. And just something that's that's really interesting on, on that kind of tactical development of players. Um, there was a Twitter thread just there over the Christmas by a fella called Eric Lowry. Um, it's L-A-U-R-I-E, which is a soccer thread. And he goes through, we'll say, 10 or 12 of the different formations that are that are used quite often on the soccer side of things and goes through the advantages and disadvantages of them. And then j- just the last point I want to make around this, like if you come back to... Uh, Gaelic games and be it the club or be it the county the the element of planning between teams from we'll say under 12 up to senior and uh, we'll say engagement and, and communication across them age groups that doesn't happen and anywhere near the level it should and Paul O'Brien looking after the under 14s versus Conor O'Shea looking after the under 16s and Mossy looking after the minors and Colm looking after the seniors. We have vastly different philosophies in how we set up a team and how we want a team to play. And that doesn't allow for players transitioning up and something they done last year being really relevant and then build it upon the following year. That isn't happening anywhere near enough. Uh, Can I ask a question here again? Do you see many players there when you're looking after teams uh, in inter-county development squad or even under 20s that when you get a player for the first year, you're saying, thinking, what they don't have? Why don't they have this tactical awareness or these skills from like, which they should have got, say, a minor under 16 or under 14 or whatever? Do you ever question that? 
I think that's just what Paul's after saying, really, isn't it? I know, I know that's but yeah. I said I'm talking in himself. In general, in general, in general. It's a good question because I would have um, noticed more so with the college than anything else the the difference in what different counties are either a prior, accidentally prioritizing or b deliberately prioritizing in their players coming through the squad that like certain certain counties like certain counties some lads are better strikers of the ball right they've come through the squads and they're better strikers but other counties are definitely further down the line athletically in terms of their development and then other things some certain definitely two or three of the counties are ahead in terms of basic tactical awareness um, of how to set up understanding of, like Colm said there, about this, like just say team plays seven at the back, guys immediately know straight into gear, they are comfortable doing different things, whereas other counties wouldn't. And I think it's definitely, I, I don't know about what you think about that, lads, in the third levels, but it's, yeah, I think it's nearly more noticeable on the third level side um, than anywhere, the, the difference in what players have coming through a different system. Yeah, that's very good. That's a great example, actually. Yeah, like an example on a tour level side of the 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 way Donegal players approach the game. Like it is, it is really evident, and it's it, it's really drilled into them. And I would say that Donegal are operating at development squad and and, and minor twenty level of trying to develop players for that that senior what's going to happen at senior level and how we're approaching the game with with some with some a few little tweaks like and like you, you could ask them to do things that that could be alien to them at at, at third level, you know, that kind of way. Yeah, look, and I suppose that brings that to something that happened in the film, like you get the management rivalry, let's say, between Clough and Revy, right? And it's something that it's it's a, it's endemic in the GA is that you'd have managers within clubs and within counties who would refuse to put the greater good um, of the county at the forefront of their thoughts because they wouldn't work with that person or blah, 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 blah. But, like, you're talking about Donegal there, Paul. Like, what do you think... No, look, we're only guessing, I suppose, what they might or what they... But what do you think that they're doing to allow that, that the minor manager's working off a similar plan to the under-14 manager who comes in and the under-20 manager and the senior manager? Like what Dialogue. Is it, is it that simple, Domasi? They have to have a plan. They have to speak and they have to be open with each other. Donegal, and, and now you can talk about um, Gallagher and you can talk about uh, Rochford. Like, Donegal have primarily been looked after by Donegal people. And like at, at, at different age groups. And it, it, it's a big thing when you have people who are involved in the club and I wouldn't be mad into external managers at club or county level because I think you need to try and be able to develop a coaching culture and coaching capacity within your club where the primary thing involved is is people's passion and their willingness to progress on and not not necessarily be there when success arrives and success they could be watching from the stand for success in, in, in 10 or 12 10 or 12 years time you know and I think that is an important element to it uh, column I started watching um Cobra Kai yesterday no spoilers, please season three of Cobra Kai and a line that came out in it. Ah, no spoilers. Uh, st- yeah, stop now. No, 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 no. A line that came out in okay. it, right, 
was um, was actually from Yagi. It was man who works for passion always richer than man who work for money, which I feel is a really good and, and, and relevant one around what we're, we're currently chatting about here. But he does say it in the film, like you have to have a connection with the club or whatever to perform. It's true. Like if you're just in it for yourself, the players are going to find that out fairly quickly. They're going to, they're not going to buy into it. But you have that connection or you feel that you, if you're with a club or a county, that you want, you're there for the betterment of them and for the club or for the county. You're just going to, you know, it's just a more of a natural thing, isn't it? Like Clough, Clough was, had his most successful periods. And I know we're not going looking at and talking about Clough, but had his most successful periods at Derby and Nottingham Forest, which are smaller provincial towns. And then Leeds, which is, and now I know it's not a massive city, city, yeah. city and a city with a very clear identity. Like, why was he successful in, in, in them two clubs while not being successful in Leeds? There's probably there's probably a, a touch of a fella more comfortable being slightly outside the loop than inside the loop. Right now, I suppose touching a guy who's who's more comfortable in a smaller town, like more comfortable having to prove of, himself. Yeah, and and also and also really going like I mean, at the end of the there's there's the wonderful line at the end of the film where Brian Clough was never was never asked to be England manager is, is the mm. line. And like that, that in itself tells a lot that he, he probably wasn't willing to con- conform really to the expectations of the establishment. And, and certain coaches and individuals are probably more comfortable or certainly think they're more comfortable being outside the establishment. And that's, that's probably something that the film evidently shows that the character is more comfortable being different. Uh, and it doesn't fit maybe the narrative of the early 1970s of England at the time either. Does that come with, with management like in the GA as well? Like that, look, I just, we'll just use Davy Fitz as an example. Like, you know, he went down to Wexford and he demanded a lot from everybody, players, county board, the whole lot. And because they weren't all our pre-reigning All-Ireland champions or top two, top three team already, that he was able to get that respect Internally, whereas as I said, Paul, if he went to Berkeley, Kenny, there's there are institution institutions there already that need to be kind of adhered to because they have won so many all Irelands and stuff like that. Like, is it a case that like if Jim Gavin went out to and said use for man of footballers and he said oh, I want this, this, and this, it, like they'd nearly bend over and give him whatever he wanted, you know. Whereas if he went to Dublin and he said I want all those club games cancelled next weekend, is he going to get them? You know, it's going back to the Jim McGuinness thing with Donegal. Like, I don't know where they're getting all those club games cancelled at the start of his reign, but by the end of the reign, there was no club championship getting in the way of, of their preparation. You know, is it because he gained the success internally? Like, it's like Brian Clough wanted to make the cake, where at Leeds United, he wanted to be the cherry on the cake. Mm-hmm. Or is, um, that all, is that all they wanted him to be, Massey? Was I think that's the all they, want, they, they wanted him because they had, they won the league. Yeah. Um, he was maybe probably out of his comfort zone a little bit where he was dealing with it. He didn't, he had the players there already. He wasn't one, as they say, you refer back to Derby County. He was buying in players, players that he thought would, he needed to become better, become the champions that they became. Um, I think a good example probably would be um, Tyrone before Mickey Hart. They had two joint managers and they were put in good structures in place to play some good football but they just couldn't cross the line and then Mickey was the cherry on top 
He came in the following year in Wonderwall Ireland. Mm. And some managers and some coaches are very, very good at creating and putting structures in place, but might just get across the line. Mm. And then there's other managers who come in and just add that finishing touch, for example. And like, and just when you're saying that, now, Matthew, I'm thinking as well, like that. Um, Paul mentioned he, Clough's stronger periods, obviously with Nottingham Forest and Derby, like, but he had he had a really good person on his side, and and like. Like how important is that in the GA that you like uh, again we mentioned Davy fit like Davy you see Bolton with Davy no matter where he goes you know he just has that confident that he's happy to go around with like it is important that you have that kind of support system internally within the within the management team like isn't it it's trust like it's trust and it's also it's also a, a, certainly a fella a fella who'll tell you you're talking absolute shite that helps too like because you 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 could have a harebrained scheme and you think you're on the right track and it's great it's great to have a fella to just tell you here rein it in there and get back to brass tacks like and I think that's important as much as as much as having a confidant it's also very good to have somebody with you who's very open and honest and uh, you respect their opinion so much that you're I suppose you you can kind of although you can have a row about it you do see their view at the end of it and say yeah Jesus um He's right. Whereas if you have somebody, if you have a management team who maybe the trust isn't there fully, it can be difficult to get that. And and I suppose as well the, the other thing on the the you say your confidant is is that you rely on them for a lot of things that you mightn't have the skill set to do. Um, and it was in in the film it's even evident when I think it's uh, as he refers to him as the Irishman, but John Giles says to him like where's where's the analysis of QPR? Where's the where's the dossier? Where's the like where's the detailed brief that um, Revy would provide, and like it was clear Clough didn't do any of that. But you know, Pete Taylor definitely was a man who analysed the opposition, explained to the players their roles, and like different skill sets for different individuals. Um, like none of us have the same skill sets, yet we probably we definitely would complement each other across the board. And I think that's another part that's very important too um, for your person with you, whoever it is, or people. I also think there's an element that, um, and people do bring a certain amount of people, be it S&C, be it performance analysis, be it coaches, be it selectors, be it physios, whatever. They bring them with them set up to set up. And that, while it might work with some people, other people might fit another particular setup and it doesn't work. You know, so just working with the same people all the time in different environments and be it different clubs or different counties or whatever, it doesn't always work either. So it's it is something to be to be uh, aware of there. Yeah, we mentioned we've mentioned it before that you have to have people that you trust with you and people you can bounce off, but also you need people who aren't going to be yes men either. They're gonna be people who are gonna challenge you where they needs to be challenged. Yeah, it's talked about it in the past. It's definitely very, very important. Do you think that there's um, there comes a time like it, it's some people aren't suited like it, it, in the film. It's it's clear that Taylor obviously wanted to go to Brighton. There's cash involved, but he may have wanted to step outside the I suppose the shadow if you want. To and Brighton's a nice spot, Connor. Oh, lovely spot by Lo- except lovely location. As was referred in the film, a, a Tory a Tory retirement home. So yeah. we'd have to we'd have to bear that in mind for the next time. But uh, I think I think like the, uh, the next time. Uh, listen, <laughs> I, I was only half. It was only half one. But I, I think like sometimes 
a self-awareness is needed amongst coaches too that you mightn't a be ready to take on a role on your own or second of all that you might actually need the person you're with to come with you to, to both excel it's kind of it's kind of a bit of a self-realization one rather than anything else um that again i don't know if if, if uh, ga coaches are are wonderful at this and paul touching the kind of with the under four like we talked about the under 14, 16 and minor examples there and we don't talk to each other and so on. Not only do we not talk to each other, you generally have a case where like Paul wants my job because it's a GC, I could do a better job than that at under 16 and I definitely want Moss's job at the minors because Christ, I could do a better job than him. Whereas in fact, if we all kind of took stock and realised what are our objectives, it's not really, in fact, it's not really, it's completely not about us. It's about how we can get the players to come through. That's definitely one area of kind of self-realization that could help if you can get that sorted in every club in the country we'd have a lot more functional functional clubs and counties um it's it's true what about in the film about when you do take over a new team or a new club or whatever it is and they have been successful what do you think about Clough's approach how he went about it there and then Look, I think when he was up on the, the training pitch and he was Bremner, like, we need, you can't be suspended. Irishman, stop breaking your studs down the back of Phyllis Cavs. Um, like, he actually, if you actually look at it, right, he said very, very complimentary things to the players. And what he was actually trying to do was highlight their positives. And let's forget about these little negatives. But obviously the way he said it and the way he... I suppose the preconception that they had of him, of what he was going to be like, and he probably lived up to it straight away. You know, he arrived late for training, um, didn't do as much on the field stuff as they wanted, didn't fall into the, what they had traditionally done on the pitch. But he said a lot of really complimentary things. And like, if you're, when you look at it from that perspective, if you looked at that in isolation, you said, right, what he said to them, you go, Christ, yeah, that's, that's very, very fair. Like you said, Giles was one of the greatest minds in football. Um, but he doesn't need to be doing doing X, Y. And like if Giles, if Giles, I put it, I put it this way, if Revy had said it to Giles, um, if Revy had come back a year later and said that to Giles, Giles, you go, oh yeah, yeah, do you know what? You got something there. But they just had it in for Clough before he even went up there. Maybe. Yeah, but if you're if you're coming in as a team that's just after winning a league or something, like you're not antagonizing them by suggesting no. these things in front of everybody else. Like yeah. that's not the conversation you could have on one on one. I thought like you just upset them from the word go. Now obviously they weren't keen on him, probably with the history they had between the two clubs of the past. Um but I think he just went in like going doing the interview before he actually met the players and stuff, probably wasn't a good thing either. Yeah, again, cinematic license was was yeah. for for that kind of death interactions, etc., um, I, I I would imagine it was just vastly, vastly different to what actually happened. The one thing, the one thing I really took from that that them kind of see them early, I wouldn't be a fan of coaches or managers getting involved in the playing of the game with players. Particularly, mm-hmm. obviously, the manner Clough done it in was to to show off and to say. You can't do this stuff. I can. I'm 45. I, I, I just I just wouldn't be a fan of of, of coaches um kicking football or hurling on a on, on the training ground or whatever. Now in saying that, the the point that, that Kieran McDonald clipped down in, in, in Salt Hill <laughs> in October or November it was some score. 
outside the left from outside the 45, was it? I, be, I believe he was doing the same in, 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 in Crow Park 45 minutes before the, the game threw in against Dublin. You used I up all of those points, but go on. That's, that's probably, I agree with you, a coach, a coach shouldn't be playing in the sessions or whatever. But, and obviously this is tricky enough in, in, the, in GA at times, but like, how do you approach, say you're trying to solve a technical solution uh, with the players and you're looking for technical solutions with them. Do you think it's do you think it's important that, that a coach or coaches can perform the technical skills that you're asking the players to do? Like do you know the way like everybody learns differently and some learn by being shown, others learn by doing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you think that's an important aspect of forget about for a second uh, developmental coaching, but at an elite level, do you think it helps teams if coaches can execute the skills themselves in terms was- of really execute that? There was, uh, I don't know if you, if you heard the story before. I think I'm not sure if it's in his autobiography or not. David Beckham at the 98 World Cup when they were practicing free kicks with Glenn Hoddle. And Glenn Hoddle wanted to do such and such a free kick where it would be flicked up in the air and Beckham would body it into the top corner. And he tried it and tried it and he wasn't able to do it. And Glenn Hoddle was getting um, frustrated that Beckham wasn't able to do it. So he said, come here, let me do show you what you have to do. You know, whoever flicked it up to him, Hoddle, bang, straight, top corner. That's how you do it. And it just annoyed Beckham and annoyed yeah. the English players that he was showing them up. Yeah, look, I suppose yeah. like I've seen I've seen cases, and I think we've seen in the media where there's been some people involved in backroom teams at inter-county level have, have r- mucked in with the lads, you know, to take part in the training sessions. But, like, I don't think it's a place of anyone. Like, no. If you've got 29 players and need someone standing corner back or in goals for a match, that's Grant um, or corner forward. But, like, I don't think if I'm Colin Crowley and I'm training the Cox Senior Hurlers and I was a former star, like, I don't think me putting on a pair of shorts and running around doing the drills and stuff with the lads is something that should be... It, I don't think it should be happening. Like, it's it's kind of a slap in the face to the lads that are there, you know? Sorry, maybe I haven't. Yeah, maybe no. I didn't ask that question. Yeah, your, your point, Connor. I, I think if, if, if you're coaching the team or if any of us are coaching the team and a player is really struggling to get the technical aspect of the skill done, that that one-on-one in a, in a coaching circle yeah. situation, I think that is really important. Um, but also bear in mind that, that Paul O'Brien mightn't have the technical skill set, which I don't, to strike the ball over the bar from 70 yards, which is, which is what I'm looking for the player to do or, or hoping for the player to do. And I need, I, I, one, if I can't show it, I really need to hone in on, on my ability to technically describe what I want them to do. And it might be by, I might show them what way maybe my wrists are cocked or the angle that the ball is, is, is connecting with the, the hurl at. And, yeah. and stuff like that could be could be really important. Like being able to know how to how to show it if you can't do it. But how again, that's not tell it if you can't show it. Again, that's on an individual basis. You don't want to be doing it in such a way that you're showing up the player. Yeah, absolutely. In yeah. front in front of a group. Yeah. There there was a I think I might paraphrase slightly, but there was a nice there was a nice line from Joe Schmidt about um praise loud and critique. So, critique quietly or praise loud and it's, it's critique either quietly or like outside of the group that it, you praise everyone in front of the group and you just quietly adjust things outside the group then hmm. um, very good um, anything else to add on the film or any other learnings like any do you know what I thought was actually very funny at the start was when they were doing the press conference where Revy was actually uh, 
um, announcing that he was going to manage the thing, and the, the journalists were all kind of like, oh, 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 geez. like it was a big shock, you know? And I was waiting, I was waiting for the Father Ted clip, you know, the fucking hell to come out from one of them. <laughs> yeah. I just I rewatched it. There was just a kind of sense of awe that he was actually doing it. Um, and I was just, it was kind of like the, the Father Ted time when your man goes, fucking hell. Um, but is there anything else that stood out in the film, Fee? Yeah, I, I, I really like the match day element of, of Brian Clough in it, like that he wasn't like, and for and for different reasons, um, it was just a number of things that that stood out, like so that the day when when Leeds came for the FA Cup final, and sorry for the the FA Cup third round game, and there was he put out the oranges and the and the, the ash mm. and then the ashtrays. Was, <laughs> I thought that was really. I thought it was really funny, but I also thought it was sad as well that he, at that stage of his career, he really wanted to be part of that establishment and he really wanted to, to fit in and and he wanted to show off that he could be one of the big boys as well. And then and Revy, Revy ignores him or whatever. But then when you go in, when, when, Lee, when other games come and he isn't massively involved on match day, I think that's actually a really good sign because... Um, a, a coach I know, a, a reasonably good coach said, if you're doing too much talking on 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 match day, um, you haven't done your 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 job in in the week leading the, week, yeah. to the game, etc. And I thought that his way of communicating with the players then on match day is like remember the scene where they were in the dressing room and he goes up and he goes, well, what's our job today? And it was like hold possession, keep shape, stop being a wandering Jew. And then onto the next fella goes, What's your job? Keep it tight, tackle hard. Any chance I get, nail Paul fucking Reaney. You know, I really liked that he'd already clearly delivered what he wanted them to do well in advance of match day. And then the players were the ones telling him back what they were expected to do. There's and a, obviously the comic comic element in it is was good as well. There's a nice paragraph actually just on yesterday uh, in the Irish Examiner, Ron McGarrow was writing about uh, team buses or something, but and kind of the ecstasy and agony you can feel on the team bus. But there's a nice little paragraph about that exact point about coaching that he used the example of his time in the Crusaders and how Rob Steve Robinson is the co- uh, anyway, it, the head coach over there was like any talk and any chatter he called it fan stuff in the in the coaching box he gave you a glare that was your first warning if you did it again you're going to have some problems that you have to stick on detail like and i thought it was a nice little example and you're just spot on like but it's just something if, someone, if anyone wants to go and read it there's just one sorry just one other thing on on the film which was it's, it's, it's kind of definitely prevalent ireland as well just as they're coming up to the that scene where he begins to lay out the oranges and the ashtrays and whatever he talks about uh Clough is talking about how himself and Revy grew up together um around the street from each other and he's he's he uses kind of a kind of a line that's kind of full of sadness he says oh he's like me and at the start it's full of hope and as as the as the film kind of goes through it, it shows how different they are and yet they're from the same place it's kind mm. of kind of interesting how you're always trying to well you're always trying to emulate your neighbour or emulate the fellow who grew up the road, who's had some yeah. success and you want to do it better. It's just, I found that kind of a, an interesting one throughout the film. Or emulate your husband. Colm Coyne reminds me of um, Clough, to be honest with you. He's warm, he's an idealist, he doesn't like dirty strokes, play within the rules, just, just you know. 
a nice I've, guy. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> if it's me and Clough successfully, <laughs> vastly, vastly different. I was actually interested. I was actually, yeah, sure, I've got time. Um, it was actually interesting there. I was going through a few tweets there last night, Connor, and I seen one. Um, I said, Dante was uh, really looking forward to CEO results day. It was in 2013. And I think we know what came out of that group of uh, CEO results for, for, for the two of us. But it was... Uh, it was just interesting. I came up across that last night. No, I came across some other scandalous yokes as well. But uh, they'd be, I think it was calling for Jim Gavin to be out after I don't know, it was around September the 1st, 2014. So I presume the, the Dublin get caught that day. Yeah, that's against Yeah, that was the week before. How many hours did it take you to go through all your tweets? I uh, know there were a few, a few old days, ones. I should say. No, there were a few old ones. A few old ones. That's all. Um, right. What are we giving Mr. Uh, Brian Clough in the Damned United out of five? I thought it was tricky, as in, what, what were we rating? Were we rating his time at Leeds or his overall right. derby as well? Or... I think you got to rate what you see in the, in the film. Two, based on what I see in the film. And one of them two points is going just for pure comedy. Um, because there, there is, there's a lot of that there that I, I think is important to have uh, at different stages. But no, it's only going to be a two... And it's it's it, it's a two based on damn United and that forty four days in Leeds or, or or whatever or thirty nine days in Leeds if if we're to believe that he didn't show up for the first five days, which I don't think is true. The I'd go I'll go basis time at Leeds was very low. Well, based on the film, like based on what I know that's that's, that's what I'm talking about in the film. It's, it's his time at Leeds in the film. Yeah wasn't great but time in the film in Derby he was good so I'm going to go with two as well okay Connor I'm going to give him a three I'm going to give him a three I mean he transformed Derby County lads in the film um, and also and also just the fact that he was so anti-establishment was pretty enjoyable what do you mean no by anti-establishment anti-establishment like he, he really railed against people who are well off um, are you on about Cullum here again now? Or well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a mix and mash of both, isn't it? Um, no, but I, I think I think that's actually uh, something that really interested me throughout the film. Like he's from the northeast, like and he, he he doesn't he doesn't identify with money and wealth. And the chairman, the chairman in in Derby is a I think it's a haulier runs a haulage firm. Like and he mm. he he disparagingly at one stage kind of says, "You get back to your haulage business." And let the professionals run this, and implying that just because and the great phrase a football man, just because he's a football man means he can run things. Whereas mm. you kind of need the two sides to coexist. Um, but I'm giving him a tree because he just give him a tree, really. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go tree as well. Um, as I said, I think there was positives with um in the the flashbacks. Obviously, the the Leeds United thing didn't go well, but I I think do you know what I kind of look at it as the the Brian Cody successor, you know, it's going to be a tough gig to, or the Arsene Wenger successor, you know, uh, same with Alex Ferguson, institutionalized kind of job, no matter who goes in there afterwards, it's going to be tough. Um, so I'll give him three. And I also like the fact that uh, going posh for him was, it was a chicken boona inside in town. So uh, I suppose it links in with your anti-establishment, throw the fish and chips in the bin. We're going posh tonight. Chicken boonas on Uncle Sam. <laughs> so uh so that's it right nothing else that lads um loved the interview at the end himself and revy yeah um but also if you watch that on youtube it's brilliant the original yeah. it's, it's very I mean, very good and it was it was on 
Yorkshire TV, so it's only regional TV. So like, imagine now if like, I'm just trying to think now. Imagine if 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 Mourinho had got to Ferguson, got to the Manchester United gig after Ferguson. No, like, Desi Farrell, Desi Farrell, and Jim Gavin. Yeah, it would be it'd be blockbuster stuff. If it was on national TV, like, and it was only in Yorkshire TV. So I don't know how many people actually seen it live, or how many people seen it back in the day, even. Um, but it was it was it was compelling stuff. And, and also the song "Hushed" by Deep Purple. When uh, anytime they're showing the Derby County League table, it's just class. Give us a bar of that, Dermas. Mm-hmm. Give us a bar of it. No, voice is gone. Do you know what else is really good and really sets the film off on on that kind of comedic tone is is when he's on the way to to Leeds, and the music. There was a good song before What's New Pussycat came on, but both songs are very kind of. This is gonna be this is gonna be funny, like and this what what is coming down the road. To Leeds United here, I thought that was that was a good part as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, Michael Sheen was brilliant in it, by the way. Ah, he's class. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's, he's very good in nearly everything he does. Yeah, it was class. Yeah. This, sorry, no. This is. I know you're probably in a rush office. One other thing, right? That in the film stands out, and it's kind of more of when you know you're fucked. When the players are having a meeting and they close the door, and you just pack your bags and just say All right, thanks very much lads <laughs> and on that note go there's line and that is look if if you want us to speak our speak our minds it, it might be handy if uh, if close <laughs> steps in left the room yeah. Yeah. that was that was game over like yeah sure, there you go if there was uh, really quickly if there was um a GA film set over a 44 day roughly approximately um thing is there anything from the, the history of the ga that you can think of that you go jeez i'd love to see a documentary on that um or i'd love to see you know a film on it or a book written about it or something like that um massey yeah um i the 1996 all ireland's football final and replay between mead and mayo just the difference mayo thrown away to find the first match how did they prepare for the replay where Sean Boylan did things differently with the Mead team or even changed the colour of their jerseys because he thought that had a bearing on the first match and then the fight and the fallout from it and different things like that. I think we... Pat's Blanche, two and a half minutes analysis of the analysis, yeah. fight. I think it'd be... Like, I don't know who you get to play, John Mohan, maybe Brad Pitt or somebody. Maybe... <laughs> 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 uh, It'd be, yeah, I think that'd be a very interesting film. Man, uh, Connor, uh, I would go for forty-four days of Waterford's two thousand and seven hurling season. Um, just all I, I was, all I remember from that time is sun, goals, and just huge crowds flocking to the matches, and just like the excitement of it all, and it builds up, and it's Waterford, it's Waterford's all Ireland to win, and then they play Limerick and. They're banging five goals past them and Begley's catching ball for fun. And it's just, I just thought it was a fantastic summer, but it'd be great to see the madness and the excitement of how Waterford was at the time and how they played. And just like, I think it's how they play. It's kind of goes back to the very thing we started yeah. at the start, the identity. Like, yeah. the, way they, the way that team played was magical. Yeah. Um, okay, they didn't win, but like there's more of a chance in 50 years' time, I'll remember them, than, you know. Clear in 2013. Yeah, or Limerick winning All Ireland this year, you know, functional yeah. teams versus you know pure excitement. Yeah, Colum, you'll always remember Clare 2013. I will, I'll never forget it. Uh, Paul, 
the one I'd like to to I suppose see a documentary on is we'd say the fallout of Anthony Cunningham in <coughs> in Galway where he went where they were in all Ireland final. Apparently there was ruptions in the dressing room at half time, and then there's a, a four page letter a few few maybe two, a month later two months later, and um, but I really I, I I don't know enough about it. Um, what year was that, Paul? Twenty fifteen. 2015 I think yeah two years later they won the All-Ireland um, and like I suppose there, there is incidents like that where players make a stand or whatever and they have to deliver and two years later and they, they did deliver very good and I suppose uh, the one that kind of like I could say one of the cock strikes but era they're, they're going through the, the motions them already but I think Claire Claire 98 from Munster Final from when the bottom, from basically, I'd love to be in the dressing room or the clear dressing room the week leading up and saying, what are they thinking of doing to Tony Brown? And then the subsequent uh, suspension for Colin Lynch and then the the, the media vote, was it some, some parent died or was it something like that? And then the sit, the, the beat awfully and then the sit down protest and then the replay. Just that whole period, I think would be savage. And I think there was, there was actually an RT Radio 1 documentary. I can't think of the name of it. Uh, who who fear speak in ninety eight? Who fear speak in ninety eight? And uh, I link it. It's actually it's a pod, there's a podcast on it, and it's it's just I'd love to just see the whole thing. No, I don't know who would play who would play who. I suppose Connor Sketches would probably have to play Jarlock now. Um, <laughs> but, but beyond it, like it was just just an unbelievable. John Claude Van Damme play Colin Lynch. I I'd say I listen to that documentary once a year just because. <clears throat> and, I, and I don't know why I didn't think of it. Um, it, it was class. Mm. Like there's there's a line in it that um, there's there's a couple of priests in in oh, yeah. Hogan Stand in Crow Park, and they're talking about uh, Lachnan's a tinker and all all the like, <laughs> team are on drugs. Like, and it's it's just class. Yeah, so we link we link that there as soon as yeah. we can for everybody. But it's uh yeah, as I said, it'd be interesting. As I said, it could spiral a whole new podcast series for somebody else to delve into. But uh, there we go. Right, lads, thanks very much, Connor. Thanks very much for your time, bye, and uh, no much appreciated. And any, I suppose, next year, yeah, Fogs senior hurling, doubles, yeah, we're champions. Well, we'll we'll certainly endeavour to improve on last year, which was a good year, to be honest. Good man. Work from there. We've a lot of young miners coming through that just make sure they get involved with the senior team now and progress them through so all lads like me can drive off into the sunset. Okay. Following the footsteps and, of uh, and uh, any outside signings this year, no? Uh, no, I think I think we leave we leave the transfer market business to um, other clubs now. This at the moment we're kind of fogs are gone are gone organic. Good stuff. Good stuff. That's all. Goes back to Sean Crowley. David Needham before him. David Needham before him. But yeah, look, I think I think just yeah, I think they're like I know playing with Fox and I know Paul is very familiar with them in an adversarial role. Um Make that out. But but uh like it is, <laughs> yeah, I suppose Fox Fox traditionally would have been would have been a country team full of country yeah. players. Uh would have very, they would have had no real underage section until maybe I suppose twenty, twenty-five years ago. And now they're they're kind of same as all the other clubs in that side of Dublin, they're just you said organic. So, very good. Uh, Paul, thanks very much. Massey, thanks very much. Connor, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, lads. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us today. Please leave a review on your favourite platform and if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. You may also want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roy Orbison Tattoo and we appreciate any likes, retweets and comments. Next week, 
we will be watching Seabiscuit and we'll have Mickey McCullough join us and we'll have the show available first thing Tuesday morning is up. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.